chapter 16. And let's begin in verse 1. I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church of Incentria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved hmm, Epenetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia in, to Christ. Greet Mary, who belabored much for us, or who labored much for us. Uh, greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stockies, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, or Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncretitis, Philagian, Hermas, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. I hope they're gracious with me in heaven with how I just hacked their name to pieces. Greet um, that guy and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that wherever we go in it, Lord, it's spirit and life, and it's just what we need. We pray that you would use these verses for your holy use in our lives. Help us to be open to whatever you want to speak to us about this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to use that inheritance for your glory, and we know that you want us to use this word of God to help us be further fashioned into the people you've called us to be. Use these verses for your glory in our lives this morning. Let me commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's very important when we think about things that pertain to the church and to the Christian life that we use God's word alone as the standard to define those things to be able to understand what he says about a certain subject. It is so easy to look at the rest of the church or among ourselves and come to a conclusion about certain subjects and completely miss God's standard in his word. So it's important for us to look at God's word and to define certain things. 
This morning, I want to look at a, a laboring for Christ. I want to look at service for Christ. And I want to let his word define what that's supposed to look like instead of what we have in our minds related to what service should look like. It's completely obvious here that Paul the Apostle who wrote Romans is very thankful for the people that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, placed in his life. He is thanking them. He is greeting them. He is recognizing them for all the whole church age to see forever uh, how they made a difference in his ministry and in the ministries of those that he knew. And any fruitful... uh, or supernatural work of the Spirit, is there's always a team behind it. Not just one person. So many people look at Billy Graham, but they don't look at all the people that were behind the scenes that served and gave their lives away to make all those crusades happen. The thousands of people that were behind the scenes. The prayer teams that went to these cities weeks ahead of time started praying. The people organizing things. The people that that uh, followed up with these believers afterwards, the people that printed the materials that they would receive. I mean, you could go on and on and on looking at these different works of God and, and see that it wasn't just one person. Even in the scriptures, we see that. Where God raised up a group of people, didn't just raise up one person. Sure, obviously there's people that lead ministries, but it's always a group effort. It's always everybody coming together. And what's noteworthy about this as we look at this chapter here is that Paul recognized that they were critically important to the success of his ministry. And without them, he couldn't have done what he had done for Christ. That God works on both ends. Sometimes in the past, I have talked to other people that were praying about planting a church. And these leaders, they are nervous (laughs) because they don't know what to expect. No one ever does. Uh, if you've done it multiple times, maybe you do to some extent, but every situation's different. If we were to go and plant another church somewhere, I would not expect it to happen the way that it happened with our church plant because God works differently in different situations. He raises different people up at different times. So I've spoken with these people that are praying about going out and planting a church, and I've been very aware that they don't understand because they haven't walked through it yet how God would raise other people up to help them. Because they, of course, as all of us, when we're looking at what God's called us to, we're hyper aware of our weaknesses and what we lack. So when you're getting ready to step out and do a massive venture in faith, it's easy to recognize that, well, we want to do all things well. We want to have things done decently and in order and so forth. And I don't know QuickBooks. (laughs) I don't know graphic arts. I don't know how to do a soundboard. I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people are, you know, aware of at their lack that they lack, and they know that they're going to need those things. And, and so, what I always encourage them to read is I encourage them to read the last part of Romans, especially chapter 16, and have them go through all the people that Paul was thankful for that God raised up and so forth, so they can see that Paul wasn't working by himself. God wasn't trying to turn Paul into this super, you know, I mean, he was ultra gifted, but I mean, beyond what he had been given related to gifts to to have him be successful. So this morning, I want to look at that. And and Romans is divided up into a couple sections there just for you to know. 
uh, chapters 1 through 11 is really dealing with the doctrinal uh, truths of the fact that we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. And, and then we get into chapter 12 through the end of the book, and it gets very practical, <laughs> very, very practical. And Paul has to say some very difficult things to that church in Rome there. Paul had never visited Rome, at least that we're told, in terms of his, at least in his, his um, missionary journeys and so forth. But he truly loves these people so much that he tells them what they need to hear. So he's, going to, he's been sharing his heart from chapter 14 all the way through chapter 15, chapter 16. He's, he does it even more as he finishes the book. And so um, we're going to see him kind of wind down this book and so forth. Uh, he's been trying to do that for a while. As you read through Romans, you'll see that he tries to finish multiple times and God just keeps pouring out and he keeps adding things and so forth. So he's going to be thanking some people by name. He's going to be greeting them and thanking them and asking God to bless them and asking God's people to bless them because he, he knows that they've been used by God in his life and other people's lives. You know, sometimes we don't ever want to acknowledge faithfulness. Because we know that Jesus ultimately is going to say to those of us that have been faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. We know that that's the main place where we're going to get our rewards. So so sometimes we are reluctant to acknowledge people, give honor to people, because we sometimes erroneously think that we're going to be giving glory to them. That's not the case. You can acknowledge people, you can thank them, you can acknowledge how God's used them in your life without giving them glory. It's possible. Paul does it in this chapter here, so it's important for us to see that. But these people, he's, he's been very much involved in their lives. He's completed three missionary journeys by this point. He's writing this from Corinth, and he's writing to them, and he has all this history with people, and I love that. And he counts them very dear to his heart. So, as we um, kind of get closer to, to verse 1, I just want to lay a little bit of a foundation here. When he's saying these things to these people, um, he's saying these things to people who have sacrificed greatly, even risked their lives for him and the ministry to which they were called. He was, he, they, they've risked things. They have given. They have suffered. They have sacrificed we're told in Ephesians chapter 4 that God, the leaders equipped the saints for the work, 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 work of ministry. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's work. Ministry is hard work. So Paul mentions a lot of that. He, he's, he thanks them for their sacrificial service. He mentions laboring, and that means laboring to the point of exhaustion, three times. He mentions servant one time. He says risk their own necks one time. He says fellow prisoners one time. Fellow worker one time. Helped many. He says that one time. They weren't idle. They were sacrificing. They were giving. They were, they were, they were losing their lives for Christ's sake. And they partnered with Paul. And Paul knew it. And Paul knew that without them, that his ministry wouldn't have been as fruitful as it, it was. Now Paul's going to mention 26 people by name. And that's the one thing I see as a leader that you have to know the people that you're serving. You have to know them. You can't know everybody intimately, obviously, as the ministry grows and God adds to the church. But you need to know them. You need to know their names. You need to have a history with them. And I am thankful that as of right now, I've been able to do that. But anyone that we're serving or is 
under our care or we're serving them, we need to be intimately involved in their lives. We need to understand them and we need to be able to minister. You can't minister to people's needs if you don't know what the needs are. And so it's very important for us to understand that. 11 of the 26 people... um, uh, have, he has these previous relationships with, nine of those 11 are women. Women were a very critical part of Paul's ministry. There is no way that you can escape that if you, if you, if you read his epistles. And he uses the word beloved four times. So he loved them. He deeply, deeply loved them. So let's begin in verse 1. He says, I commend you, Phoebe. And Phoebe, the, word, the name Phoebe means radiant. Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sencrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has, had, had, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So Paul's giving her a reference here. And so Paul is saying you need to receive her well, in a manner worthy of the saints. What, how do you receive someone in a manner worthy of the saints? You show extreme hospitality. You meet every possible need that, that the person have, has. You anticipate. The people that have the gift of hospitality anticipate needs. They think ahead. They think ahead of what a person might need or what would be a blessing to them. They have a great attention to detail related to those So he says, receive her. In Acts 6, God appoints leaders to be deacons in the church, to serve and to take care of needs. And that's the same word that's used here for her uh, being described as a servant of the church in verse 1. There are deaconesses. Phoebe was clearly one of them. And they would care for widows. They would visit the sick. They would visit those in, in prison. And they would serve the physical needs there. They were very busy about the Lord's business. And, and Paul wants everybody to know of how much of a value they are to him and to the body of Christ. And Paul tells the Romans to do two things related to this woman. Like I said, receive her in a worthy manner but also to assist her in any business she has need of them. He's giving her a blank check. You, whatever, whatever need she has, whatever business, see, he trusts that she can hear the Spirit. Or else if he, he would say, if she has need of these, this type of business, then give her any help that she needs. But he, he trusts that she can hear the Spirit and that she will be able to communicate that to them, and they are to help her fulfill the business that she has and the role that she has. Phoebe is probably the one who delivered this epistle to the Romans. Can you imagine being the one carrying the book of Romans? Now, she doesn't have the hindsight to know the the impact of this amazing letter, but uh, God did, and God entrusted her with that. And and what a huge privilege that would have been to be able to carry, um, you know, to, to carry this amazing book to the people that would need to receive it. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. You know, Reuben, you know, I used to call him Aquila for a while when, he, when I first got to know him and Priscilla. I was like, Priscilla and Aquila. 
but he didn't really like that too much, so I stopped. But um, yeah, something about having your own name, you know, um, you like that. So it says that, that who risked their own necks for my life, that's not just hyperbole, that's not poetic stuff, that's not a metaphor. They risked their lives. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church that is in their house. Paul really, really loved Priscilla and Aquila. They were a great husband and wife team. And they were tent makers by trade, just like Paul was. They had left Rome because there was a persecution in Rome, so they had ended up in Corinth where they met Paul because Paul was a tent maker as well. And he's writing from Corinth, as I mentioned. And so they became close friends and partners in ministry. And at some point, we're not told where, they risked their lives for the Apostle Paul. Somehow that God, and God will, may call us at some point to risk our lives for another brother or sister in Christ. That's not unusual. You know, we're, we're called to be serving sacrificially. And sometimes that God will call us to do that, to save someone's life. He says in verse 4 that he was thankful for them and all the churches notice he says that not only am i thankful but also all the churches of the gentiles think about that they've made such an impact by their sacrificial service that all the churches of the gentiles were thankful for them just think about the impact you know sometimes we forget how powerful our ministries are and how they can carry over to many other places and and that's what happened with these these two saints they serve faithfully sacrificially and they affected many churches. They also had a church in their house. Because of persecution, many of the, much of the early church met in homes. And, and so they, that's what happened with them. Like obviously, the church is the people, not a building. And so the, the, they ha- opened up their home. They opened up, they offered everything, even their own personal space for the work of God. And so Paul wanted to greet these people. Just think how, what, how it would be when they were reading this letter in Rome that to hear their names being read and being uh, recognized by the Holy Spirit through this apostle. He said, Greet my beloved Apenetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. And this is Paul, probably Paul's first convert in Achaia, and I'm sure he loved him very much. Notice he says first fruits there. First fruit. See, God is seeing the harvest field all the time. And, and he was the first one to receive Christ. And someone had to be in the field working. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send workers into the harvest field. And you have to be careful, and I say that jokingly, because when you start praying for that, you end up finding yourself in the harvest field. You end up being the one that's there. You pray for it, you end up being there. He's called all of us to labor in, in Christ for salva- the salvation of others. And then he says in verse 6, Greet Mary who labored much for us. There were a lot of Marys. There's a, at least six Marys in the New Testament. And it's, you just wonder, you know, they, they should have married all the Jameses and all the Herods. I mean, it gets so confusing, you know, with all these repeated names and so forth. But the thing that stands out to me is the word labor again. Labor to the point of exhaustion. Greet Mary who labored much for us. Do we labor for others in the body of Christ? 
It's a searching question for each one of us. We may labor for our family who is likely part of the body of Christ, and that's great. This goes beyond our personal lives into the rest of the body of Christ to work hard to serve. And, and, and that's something that, again, we need to have God's word define what service is supposed to look like. In our culture, we're very selfish. We're very self-centered. And we see ourselves primarily at, at, you know, that are individuals that are, happen to be part of a larger whole. In the New Testament, it communicates that we're a larger whole. That's our primary uh, identification is that we're part of the body of Christ. We're part of a larger whole who happen to be individual members. We, he still values that we're individual members and all the diversity that's represented in that way. He, make, he wants to make sure that, we're, that we know that. But the primary way that he reveals to us that who, who we are is that we're a larger whole. We're part of the body of Christ. And so we're supposed to labor hard. We're supposed to be worn out for him. And you know what's funny is that we can be worn out for a lot of things, and we're fine with it. It doesn't bother us at all. But to be worn out for the things of the Lord and for our brothers and sisters to be tired. Think about Jesus. How in the world could he fall asleep with that storm? I mean, think about the storm that these professional fishermen were scared for their lives and he's at the bottom of the boat sleeping. How is that possible? It's possible because he was exhausted physically. He was up early praying. He prayed all night many times. And he served physically. He was refreshed and rejuvenated spiritually constantly through fellowship with the Father and prayer, communing with him. But it's okay to be worn out physically. And we, we, we will be worn out for so many things. And the, the key to a fulfilled, fruitful life is being willing to be worn out for the things of God. But in our culture, no, 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 we don't do that. We, in our culture, we have to do as little as possible we still we, we see it as a check mark. You know, I need to serve, so I'm I'm gonna do the littlest thing that I possibly can that would qualify as serving. I'm not saying many hearts are like this at all. I'm just saying there is a there is a mentality that's out there that we all have, myself included, have to fight against. And that is we need to just have enough to be able to check it off and okay, I'm doing it, I'm okay, and then I'm going to try to do as much of everything else as possible and be worn out for other things. And the ones that I've seen that are greatly used by God and make a difference in this life uh, for eternity in the lives of others don't have that mentality. Just like Paul's describing here in these verses. They weren't trying to do the minimum. Lord, my life is yours. I've been bought with a price. Do with my life as you please. I want to be available to serve. I want to be sacrificed and give my time. But the, the, there's this mentality that can creep into our minds that is like well you know god would never want me to be worn out for him that would be striving and that would be doing things in the flesh there's a way to be empowered by the spirit to be serving the, you know by the grace of god be to be worn out and, and and but not be striving and trying to do things in our own strength there's a way to do that obviously jesus and the and and the disciples as well modeled that for us it can there, there can be a fear to serving you know, because we look at our, our shortcomings, we look at what we lack, and we're afraid. We just, we're, we're comparing us, ourselves among ourselves, as we're told not to do in Scripture. And we look at other people and we say, man, they're just so gifted, they're so amazing, I could never do what they're doing, I could never be used by God, and we're judging our ability or lack thereof based on measuring against them instead of measuring ourselves against God's grace and God's, and God's power to, to help us to be fruitful. You know, 
I started serving just by doing things that were just behind. I don't have to be, I've never had to be the person up in front or teaching or any of those things. I just started being faithful. And he started adding more and adding more and adding more because I let him define what my service would be instead of defining it myself. And as I stepped out in faith, I saw every time I step out in faith, he gives me the grace and he gives me the power to do what he's called me to do. And so you're no different than me. And and God wants to do great and amazing things through your life. Don't put any limitations on what he can do in your life and through your life. Because we're talking about an an all-powerful God and and a God that's gracious and that he has his sufficiency be the one or or be that which uh, gives us fruitfulness in ministry. Verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the, the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Again, I believe this is a wonderful husband and wife team. They were probably not blood relatives when Paul says they were my countrymen, but they were probably from Tarsus, where he was from. He also says they are my fellow prisoners. So they had served to the point where it got them in jail. (laughs) It got them to be incarcerated. That may come in our lifetimes. To be faithful to Christ means jail time. Are you willing to pay that price? I ask myself that all the time. I wish I could say I know for sure I would pay that price, but I haven't been in that situation yet. But I know God's grace would enable me to do it and be faithful to him. Once they start saying certain doctrines are, are uh, we can't say those things from the pulpit, that's going to be problems because we have to t- teach the whole counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation, that's part of what we do. That's what part of what we believe is biblical. So I'm going to have to teach against homosexuality because it, God teaches against it in Romans chapter 1. I can't just skip chapter 1. I remember when I did teach it, someone invited someone that was entrapped in that sin and I had to teach it faithfully and it was healthy for me to have that person there. It was good for me. And so um, that person stayed around for the agape feast and were were loved on. So that's something that he's always working towards in our lives is for us to be faithful even to where it costs us something dear to to us, even our lives he says in verse 8 greet amplius my beloved in the lord greet urbanus our fellow worker there he says worker in christ in stockies my beloved so he, he's expressing love and apelles approved in christ greet those who are of the household of aristobulus greet herodian my countryman again someone probably from uh, tarsus greet those who are of the household of Nar- uh, narcissus who are in the Lord. That guy was probably a control freak. I'm just guessing. <laughs> uh, greet those who are in the household of the control freak. Um, narcissistic there, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, the names in verses 8 through 10 uh, were common slave names. There was about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire uh, at this time. But then he greets the households of both Aristobulus at the end of verse 10 and Narcissus in verse 11 and these were wealthy households aristobulus was likely the grandson of herod the great that's what history records and narcissus was a great uh, gatekeeper a famous gatekeeper for the emperor and he history records that he was corrupt because he would take bribes and so forth and both of these men were probably not believers at this point 
They could have been, but they probably weren't believers, but they had Christians who lived and served in their estates or in their households. And, and, and so they were believers and because the influence of the gospel went into every home. No one was prejudging whether or not they should preach the gospel to these people or not because God doesn't do that. And so he, the influence of the gospel, when Paul was in, eventually he would make it to Rome uh, and, and he was going to be imprisoned in Rome. And he, would, he talked about in other places that, you know, I am chained, but the gospel isn't chained. And so how, how would God meet the, the, you know, the, it would meet those people for Christ apart from this whole arrangement with uh, persecution and being in prison? It, you know, God chose to do it this way. And he reached and had an influence all the way in to the, the highest uh, parts of the highest echelon of the socioeconomic um, arrangement that was in Rome. And it's a beautiful thing. So he's wanting these believers to know that are in these wealthy households that God hasn't forgotten them and, and, and that uh, they're valuable to God. So that's, that's good for us to see because we need to reach everywhere with the gospel and know that there's no limit to where it can penetrate. Verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. So I'm told as I look these names up that they mean dainty and delicate. Aw, how cute. Uh, They probably were uh, twins having the names, you know, very much alike and so forth. But we don't know that. Uh, But that's likely a, a sister team there. I love that. That's great to see that. And notice again, he emphasizes the hard spiritual work. It says that they labored in the Lord. There's a difference between laboring in the flesh and laboring in the Lord. Again, God calls us to labor, to work hard. And, and it, sometimes people are stumbled by this, that God could never call me to be absolutely worn out for him. He would, if that's happening, something's wrong. I'm out of God's will. I'm whatever. That's not true. That's not how God defines service in the Bible. God defines service as giving everything. And some people, it'll, at certain seasons especially, it will be where you are absolutely exhausted physically. And he calls us to be refreshed spiritually and emotionally and all those things on a regular basis. The more we serve and the more we give our lives away, the more intake we need in terms of spiritual uh, food so that we can be empowered to to give as you're having this output 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 you have to have more input and sometimes we don't do that god's called us to serve more we're not having more input and we're wondering why we're dry we need to seek him we need to spend more time with him we need to let him pour into our lives even more than than we previously had even persis there is said to have labored much in the lord and so that's what our lives are supposed to be about, laboring. You know, God calls us to serve and to be engaged in good works. And it says that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. It says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So we are created for good works. God has called us to not just sit. And there is a place for sitting. There is a time for just sitting, being poured into, being healed from past situations that have been hurtful or whatever. But sometimes we wait too long and we say, you know, I don't, I don't really know how I should serve. And, you know, and we're on the fence. And, and, and instead of just asking, what are the needs? What needs do you have? Here's my gifts. Or maybe, here, help, help me to understand what my gifts are. 
And, and what, what are needs? What are your needs here? And then just going in there and starting to help situations and start serving. Very important that we see that. Verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now, Rufus was likely the son of Simon of Cyrene, the man who carried the cross for Christ. Mark mentions Simeon, uh, Simon's sons in Mark 15. And, and so many people believe that he was his son there. So it's likely this is the same Rufus. We don't know for sure. Paul was close to him and his mother. So he says, greet him. He's chosen in the Lord and, and greet his mother and mine. In other words, she's like a mom to me. That's important ministry, to be like a mom to somebody. Sometimes people don't have moms. And God wants to use you ladies to be a mom to somebody that didn't have one. That's, that definitely happened in my life. Verse 14. Greet this person, Phlegion, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet that person and, and Julia and Nerus. There's no reason. I'm not going to say it right. So, and Nerus and, and his sister and Olympus. I can do that one. And all the saints who are with them. Notice, and all the saints who are with them. He just loves everybody. He just loves all the saints. He knew, he knew that, that, that they were beautiful and they are amazing. And he was in love with those saints. And he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we don't do that. They do that in the Middle East now. They give the kisses on the cheeks. And they'll, you know, there's a whole thing to that. Even in some places in Europe, my brother-in-law, who was a missionary uh, for 10 years in Europe, he says, you just had to go through the ritual. You know, they just kiss on the cheeks. And at first, it's like, easy now. Um, But he got used to it. He's like, I'm like, I don't know if I get used to that. But um, it needs to be a holy kiss, that's for sure. Not any other kind of... Uh, kiss. And he says, the churches of Christ greet you. So I want to, I, I want to, those are the verses, but I want to speak a little bit to how God, I believe, wants to um, apply this to our church. I don't know about you, but I get the sense that we are like on a precipice of God greatly pouring out his spirit and greatly using our fellowship. Am I the only one here that senses that? I sense it. He's been speaking by the Holy Spirit, specifically lately, to women. To be encouraged that he wants to use you, that you have thought that there's limitations on how you can be used because you're looking at your weaknesses or your, what you lack or whatever. And he has been encouraging you to quit, getting, quit having your eyes remain on your own weaknesses, but getting your eyes on his sufficiency and to step out and then watch what he will do. And I believe he's speaking to that. Look at all the women that are, that are represented in this passage. Way more women than men. And sometimes, especially in Calvary Chapel, we don't believe it's biblical to have women pastors. Sometimes we uh, give out the sense, with, you know, not meaning to, that somehow there's limitations on how women can serve among us. And that's just false. And if you've received that or thought that, I apologize. That has not been our purpose here. But if, if you can't look at Scripture and see how powerfully women were used in the New Testament, 
and in church history. And, and so just because you don't see how that could happen or you don't see you know, a need that's there or, or, or maybe what God's laid on your heart, uh, we haven't announced a need for, you're somehow thinking that you don't fit or your gift can't be used, and that's not true at all. As I mentioned a week or two ago, uh, you know, j- we pray for a long time. We sense that we have needs in the body, and we pray for God to raise someone else up before we even announce that we're looking for that sometimes. So we need your feedback. We need you to say, come to us and say, you know, I have this on my heart. How does that fit within everything? Let's take this to prayer. Maybe with your input, we can modify it a little bit, and we can, uh, you know, have it fit within the current needs and so forth. There's so many different options how God can uh, use you in our midst. And we all have to do our part. We all have to serve and make ourselves available and all of that. And we're never going to be in the, um, we're never going to be out given. I mean, God's going to outgive us every time. He's going to serve. He's going to give us all those things that we need to do what he's called us to do. His sufficiency is there. And that's why, uh, there's some things that I want to say right now related to what's required for, I believe, this work of the Spirit. Not that we earn it or whatever, but just to position ourselves to where this, that, this impact that He wants to have through our lives is realized. The first thing is prayer. We need to be a church that's serious about prayer. And I'm just being honest with you. It is, I'm ashamed that so little people take advantage of our time of prayer before, before the service. Because it's so powerful. We have answers to prayer all the time. What, it's 30 minutes. It's not like a big thing. You know, and if you don't come regularly, that's fine. Stop in every once in a while. Say, find out what the needs are. Let us pray for you. Let us know. Or just come. If you don't feel comfortable praying out loud yet because you, you haven't kind of ever had that background or whatever, just, just come and listen and pr- agree privately in your heart. That still counts for prayer. So it's that, but not just that, because God may not call you to be a part of that, but just being serious about the things of prayer, having people come forward when we ask for prayer after the service, when we say, if you need prayer, having more people take advantage of that. We're getting ready to launch a prayer team that will people that have a heart to do that and are gifted in that way or whatever, um, are safe people to, to have pray for you. They're going to be up here after the service. Take advantage of that. As we start praying Wow, watch out what happens. Also, learning about the Holy Spirit. We're likely going to have a little mini-series on the Holy Spirit coming up. Learning about the gifts of the Spirit. Learning about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The importance of all of that. I don't know how many weeks before we get into our next book, but the Lord's laid that on my heart, and He's said that to the other leaders as well. We need to be empowered by the Spirit. And I think also I need to um, mention that I don't think that we have done a good enough job with keeping the opportunities before you of places where you can serve. And I take responsibility for that. We need to keep those needs before you and have you understand how you can fit into those specific needs. And again, you coming and sharing your heart and so forth and all of that. So I just want us to see, and I really believe the Lord laid it on my heart for us to look at what God's standard is for service. None of these people were doing the minimum and just because they were, I mean, trying to do a minimum so that they could do as much of the other things that they want to do as they could fit in, but still say they were serving. They served. They gave everything. They invested in eternity. They were supremely concerned about temporal things. 
And many of you do serve. And you, many of you do serve sacrificially. And thank you for that. I don't want to give the, the impression that I don't believe anyone's serving sacrificially at all. Many of you do. But some of you are just step, taking baby steps. And God wants to encourage you to step out and keep going that direction. And the extent to which you make yourself available and you're faithful and you're serving sacrificially is the extent to which you can um, see him use you more than you can possibly imagine. I've seen that so many times in my own life, for sure. Um, You just have to be available. You have to be faithful. But some of you aren't serving at all. And God's working on you to to step out and to, to, to start giving your life away. And by the way, I don't assume because you're not serving here that you're not serving somewhere else in the body of Christ. Don't misunderstand me. I know that that happens. So I recognize that. But just it just really was laid on my heart. Look at God's standard for service. They labored. They labored to the point of exhaustion. They worked hard. They weren't doing it in their own strength. They were doing it in, in his strength. And he tells us to not grow weary while doing good. But in due season, we will reap if we don't lose heart. So yes, as we serve and as we sacrifice, there's going to be a temptation to, to lose heart. But he tells us to focus on the reward and, and the blessing and, and all those things that he wants to pour out in our lives. He's just waiting for us to step out. And you know what's funny is that I'm so aware of how unqualified I am <laughs> for doing what he's called me to do that sometimes I don't do a good enough job communicating that. And you can paint a picture that, that uh, only a certain type of people can do certain things, and that's not true at all. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, There's not many mighty. There's not many noble. Paul was the exception to that rule. As far as the world standards, he was mighty and noble and qualified and all of that. But look what God had to do to get him to be usable. He had to humble him. He had to show him that everything that you've done in the past, you need to consider like dung. That none of those things qualify you for anything. That I use you despite yourself. I use you... (laughs) despite who you are, he had to be severely humbled. So those people don't have an advantage over you. You being like me, knowing that we are the foolish things of this world, that we're not super gifted, we're not super anything, we, we need to know that God, it's easier for him to use us because we don't, he, doesn't have to, he doesn't have to work against us thinking that we're bringing something to the table and we're trusting in ourselves. We know that if, it's, if it isn't him, it's not going to happen. So that's what brings him glory, by, by people seeing our lives being used by him, knowing that we don't have all these things. That's because they know it has to be him doing the work. Pastor Chuck used to say it all the time. Fellas, don't trust in anything in yourselves. Trust in me. Not me, but, you know, the Lord. He's quoting. And we would like, yes, that's right. We are so not qualified to do what we sense we're called to do. And then God gets the glory. So I, I trust that this has washed over your heart like it's washed over mine. Let's serve the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength by his grace and by his power, and let's see what he will do. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your calling on our, all of our lives to faithfully serve, to give our lives away like you did, Jesus. Thank you that you are such a great example. And I pray, Father, specifically for the women in this church, too, that you would help them be in unity, that you would help them step out in faith, that you would help them to be busy about your business. Help us to know how to help them. 
be all that you've called them to be. And I pray for all the men of the church, too, especially those that went to the retreat, God. Protect them against spiritual warfare and all that wants to come against them related to what you've done in their lives this, this weekend. And I pray for the men that are here in this room now. I pray that you would greatly use each one of them for your glory and your purposes. And I pray, Father, that you would make all of us usable, to remain usable, to, to be humble, to not trust in our own anything, but to trust in you and your sufficiency and the fact that you put us in the ministry by your grace, not because we're qualified. Thank you that you equip the called, Lord. You don't call the equipped. It's beautiful, Father. Thank you for how, the brilliance of, of that decision and how it plays out in our lives. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.